enter if you dare this ghastly conversation of teens fraught with despair and recent lacerations. Final girl, chase after her, don't let her get away. But first, the slumber podcast massacre. Welcome to Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. That's Tim. That's Andy. And this is a podcast about horror. Every week, Tim and I get together. We talk about a different movie from the horror genre, from your well-known classic, down to that rare gem that would prefer not to spend the winter tied to this fucking couch. <laughs> At the back of your video store shelf. I hope that didn't blow everyone's ears out. I tried to get away from the microphone. Uh, this week... <laughs> We're continuing our John Carpenter miniseries, I Made a Thing, with, from 1982, The Thing. Fucking the best movie we'll cover probably ever. Um, (laughs) Tim, I wasn't sure really what to ask you here. Like, There's a lot of different angles I could take, but I, I guess I was most curious. Do you ever feel like you are an imposter? Oh, Jesus. That's a, that's a. I figured that would be the best one to really break some shit open. That is a tough topic. But you know what? I think I got on top of it quickly in life. I used to, as a kid, I would call it my, uh, before I even really knew what this word meant, but I felt like it kind of was heading in the right direction. I called it my conscience. Uh And we had this room in my house. We called it the blue room and nobody ever used it. We had a a large family room that was, was unparalleled. It was, you know, like raw rough sawn cedar and these black iron latches and a wood burning stove. This room was massive. It was probably like 20 foot by 30 foot. It was huge. And um, so that's where everybody spent their time. That's where, you know, we had our flipping fucks and, and we'd watch our shows and it was it was great. We didn't call them that at the time or but, do that at or, or the do that at the time. time right. right. Yeah. Not for lack of wanting. But um, but no, we had this great family room as it would as it was uh, widely known. And then there was this other room that was more of a formal uh, like just living room, I suppose. And it was we called it the blue room because it was painted blue. The furniture had a lot of blue in it. And it. it the the dressings and and the the little bits and pieces and nobody ever went in that room but me yeah and I would just go in there just for some quiet time and I would kind of process things a little bit and just think things out and I would for lack of better words sort of talk to myself even if it was like an internal monologue but I would just kind of sort through whatever drama you know fourth or fifth grade had to offer and I would just sort of, I don't want to say dissociate from myself, but try and and see things from more of an outside perspective and talk to myself as if I was like a separate person, um, which in the grand scheme of things, I think was pretty healthy, like for that age, yeah. like as young as I was. And um, to, to just try and like take those quiet moments to reason through things. So I've never had a problem seeing myself as a like being able to sit myself down and talk to myself in what is my best interpretation of an objective observer. 
Um, so I, and I, and I, to this day, I do a lot of that. I drive around a lot of it. A lot of the times I do talk out loud. Yeah. Um, and, and I just sort of like work things out and, uh, you know, ultimately I think it's pretty healthy. So what I'm getting at is the idea of being like worrying about being an, like a, 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 an imposter of myself or another version of myself that I've never felt so much myself other than, and I actually have walked away from the ability to do that because I, th- I think I brought it up on the show. Maybe it was even recently. One time I talked to my doctor, this was a handful of years ago, maybe 10 years ago. And I asked my family doctor, like, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to just lose some weight here. And he, he's like, okay, fine. Like I'll, I'll write you something. I'm, there's something that'll help you out. And he wrote me a prescription. And then I, before I got into it, cause I had heard all these horror stories about like Fen Fen and this crazy fucking speed that a lot of these girls had gotten into. And I'm like, well, I'll just read the side effects. Uh-huh. And one of the side effects was, oh, I think you yeah, to remember this. the most amazing thing I've ever written and read in print in my life was the sensation of standing next to yourself <laughs> was literally on a printed form from like Mayo Clinic saying these are the side effects of this medication, the sensation of standing next like to yourself. Enough people experienced that. To right. Where they were like, we should probably let people know. <laughs> yeah, right. And I'm like, I'm like, who were all the people? Who was the first person that was like, they were like, how's it going? How's that medicine treating you? <laughs> well, this is going to be hard to describe, but. I feel like there are two of me here right now like that. I I can't imagine that like enough people said that for that to happen. So obviously I avoided that, but I have had dreams where they are very much in line with that sort of body snatcher thing where it's like, it's your, it's your parent, but it's really not your parent. Yeah. They look like your parent. They're kind of saying the right things, but you just know that it's not them. Yeah. And those are freaky enough. So in in short answer, I feel like I've always been in touch with myself enough to know that, like Kurt Russell says in this movie, like I'm I'm me. Yeah. I, I know that I'm, I'm me. Know, I know yeah. that I'm human. Um, so I've never I and and if I ever felt uh in a position to where I was sort of outside and observing that it wasn't about an imposter thing. It was more like a positive thing. Like I have an opportunity here to really sort of self-analyze. Yeah. Um, But no, I've, I've never, I've never worried too much about that because I think that, especially since the matrix came out, Uh I think a lot of people that are teetering on the brink of some instability, that might've been just the little shove that they needed. I knew it. (laughs) That's all I needed to see was it in a movie. That's a pretty deep take. I wasn't really going for that deep. I kind of just meant like in a group, like in a group, like imposter syndrome and things like that. I mean, that was a perc- that that kind of blew my mind what you just talked about there. Right. Okay. That was very interesting. An imposter to yourself. You're you're just saying essentially. Yeah. Oh, that I that I thought Is that, that what I, you were talking. Yeah, about? I thought yeah. that. Yeah, I thought that you were asking if I ever wondered that if I oh, where you were just like, am I really Tim? Right. <laughs> but your question is much easier than what I answered. I apologize for that. No, that's a, I mean, so, okay, what a cool take. You're saying more of like in a social setting, yeah. worrying about like not being yourself. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Like, but not like not actually not being yourself. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> same, same verbiage, <laughs> much lighter topic. 
Uh, no, I I got a lot to think about. I'll so. tell you. I'll tell you what. I, I'll answer that one easily. Not so much have I. I, I mean, I I try to be real. I do. The only thing that ever bugs me is that being an enthusiastic person, I have to rein myself in from being like, like, okay, I'm going to a new barbershop. Uh-huh. And I can tell that these people, like somebody's like, oh, hey, like I like your outfits or whatever. And I'm like, well, this is the first time that I'm here. But I mean, okay, cool. I'll take that compliment, <laughs> um, which actually happened. Uh, and... But I want to, like, I'm sitting there, I'm in the chair, I'm getting the beard trim, and I want to unleash all of it. I want to say, like, I'm an actor, I fight train, I have a horror <laughs> podcast, you know, this happened when I was seven, blah, 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 blah. Right. And I want to, not out of, like, a need for acceptance, but just out of enthusiasm, yeah. you know, especially in an environment that would that would be host to that. But, um. But, you know, you, you have to kind of like pull that back a little bit. And um, because people that are a little too forthcoming in those situations, it's almost like a they're like an energy sucker, I call yeah. it. Oh, yeah. You know, they just take a little too much out of the room. And I'm yeah. probably I'm sure I've been guilty of that. But I, I try to be better about um, saying like there'll be a time and a place. <laughs> Somebody will bring up a horror movie and I'll be like, funny you mentioned that. <laughs> right. I've only spent a thousand hours talking about horror films. Let me tell you about it. But um, no, I uh, I know what you mean. And, and you know, gosh, I, I mean, I guess everybody's guilty of that to some extent. Right. I mean, sure. We all have to sort of feel out those situations. Now, I have known people. And I admire the fuck out of people that just literally don't give a fuck. Yeah. That that just are themselves at all times. And I actually I seek out those people a lot for friendships. I I really admire and and I don't imagine those people have the easiest time making friends or keeping friends. Yeah. If you're just being real all the time. You have to compromise with your personality a little. I mean, not compromise your personality, but you have to I don't know, display yourself in a sort of tempered manner until it's time to really let it all out. Yeah. Right. Um, but then again, I don't know. Maybe that dissipates a little bit with age. Maybe you get a little older and you're just like, <laughs> just don't give a fuck anymore. Right. But you know what? I think I'll tell you one thing, though. I was just thinking about this the other day and you specifically. What I thought was really neat was that or interesting to me was that I know that you say that you don't like overly enjoy like talking to like strangers or new people or whatever. You're not like a social butterfly. You don't yeah. see yourself that way. I disagree a little bit, but I, I think that you've got great social skills. Uh-huh. I really do. Um, but like there was a, uh, I'm kind of the, I've sort of grown to be the opposite. Like if we're out at a bar and some guy comes up and he's just like, maybe he's a little drunk and he's just kind of running at the mouth a little bit. I've seen you sort of like sit back and get very relaxed in those situations <laughs> where you're like, I just want to see where this goes. <laughs> and you even feed into it a little bit to just get the guy going. Oh, yeah. Okay. I get a little bit, I get not, not in a paranoid way, but I'm just, I've grown the opposite. I've grown a little bit more suspicious. Yeah. Just because I don't want, like, I guess it's maybe I just don't want to waste my time. Yeah. With some douchebag that's just running his mouth. Yeah. But you're just kind of like, I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the show. <laughs> now, wait. Now, hold on now. Okay. Because we did have a situation very recently where I would say nearly the opposite of this happened. 
Oh, we really? were at our local watering hole. Yeah. And some guy came up, and you started chatting with him, and then he went to buy us all shots. Do you remember this guy? And then he came back to the table, and everyone was like, oh, what's this? And he's like, I bought everyone shots, but like no one wanted a shot because you were the only – everyone else was trying to avoid talking to this guy. When was this? Uh, this was uh, – Oh, was this the guy with like, the mullet? Like the, yeah, the like sort of like cowboy like weird, like weird hat or something? Yeah, 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 yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, that, that was guy. Um, That was uh, you know Popcorn that Festival Day. Oh, was that that day? Yeah. God damn, it feels no, so – No, and that guy was right. weird. But it, yeah. to me, his weirdness felt – Because, yeah, that was a guy where I was – as soon as he approached, I'm like, I am closing myself off to this guy. Right. No, I, I can I can sniff those guys out, I guess. And that's, that's my power is and that's I when know I, the guy's not worth talking to. Right. And to me, I don't judge worth talking to. It's more just about like I have a gauge for like sinister or not. Yeah. That guy was just sad and lonely and wanted friends. My gauge is more how easily will I be able to end this conversation? Well, that's fair. I'll talk to you, but I am not do not want to talk to you for an hour. I want to talk to you for an hour. Sure. You better. At least about this. And then yeah. we'll start talking about the movie. I'll tell you what. I was sitting in <laughs> I was sitting in McDonald's one time with my daughters and and one of my daughters is is not she's wonderfully talkative. Um but initially she's very shy with eye contact or or interaction whatsoever. She was probably like 5 or 6. We were sitting at McDonald's and a guy that was maybe of questionable like mental capacity came up and he had a hat that if he pulled on the back of the hat, like these hands like oh, sort of clapped. Yeah. You know? And I watched as my daughter literally spun her head around like it wasn't avoiding eye contact. It was full on <laughs> exorcist. Like, I am not here. I am. And she literally did a 180 with her neck. And I just thought it was the cutest thing. But um, but yeah, no, I uh, I don't know. I guess it's it's kind of where the. A lot of that's what you what you just described as a feeling thing. I think that that's what it boils down to. Yeah, and 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 it's not the same for everybody because I've seen guys come up where I've been like, "This guy's bad news," and then the rest of the group is like, "Oh, hey, like, come here, sit with us, blah blah blah," and they ask him like probing questions where I'm like, "Jesus fucking Christ, like, stop now." <laughs> yeah, and then I've had probably other times where I've just yelled something out to a stranger. And uh, people are probably like, "What the, does he know that person?" You know, <laughs> right. so it goes both ways. But um, no, that's that's an interesting question. But as far as getting back to your original point, I think that it is a really admirable quality. While we all have to compromise a little bit, I think that not that you're a lesser person. But that you're lesser self-realized if you're one of those people that just fucking adapts to every single different person that you come up to. Yeah. And I know people like that. Yeah. We know people like that. And then and there there are just some people that I just feel like you're a good person. Like you're interesting. You're cool. You don't have to do this. You know, you can you can just be you. Right. And it's fine. Yeah. And it's more than enough. Um, but yeah, I think that those some of those insecurities are probably Buried far too deep for our pay grade to figure out. Yeah, I know the type of person you're talking about. Yeah, yeah I thankfully I'm not. I I feel too self aware to become that. Yeah, that's I'm the opposite. Where I'm instead of trying to adapt to everything, I have like that imposter syndrome where I'm like, surely someone will find out I do not belong here, no matter what I'm doing. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> right. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that, um, but you know what? It's funny, like some of that is, can be, uh, and I, I, I'm by no means a professional. Some of that can be chemical though. Like I can tell you that when I started on uh, testosterone, one of the the side effects or, or benefits, however you want to put it, was like a, they said a sense of well-being. And I'm like, well, that's kind of, you know, that's not really associated with what's commonplace for the thought of testosterone. But it's true. Like, rather than walking into, sometimes it's not even ang- like a, a generalized anxiety disorder. Sometimes you just walk into a place and for absolutely no good fucking reason, you just feel uncomfortable in your own skin. Yeah. And it can just strike at any time. But with this, every place I walk into, I just, um, I just don't feel that anymore. Yeah, and that and that was literally just uh, a chemical thing. So I mean, or or placebo, one or the other. But I mean, either way, it it worked. Yeah. So you know, I I don't mean to like for for me to sit here and say like everybody should be ultra confident and should walk into any situation and be themselves. And if they're not, then they're a lesser person. (laughs) That's not fair. Because some people have bigger struggles than that. Yeah. Um, but I think that if you're not struggling with that on a like a metabolic level, <laughs> then just fucking be yourself. You know? There's You're probably pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, even no matter who you are. Yeah. Like even if you're not saying a lot, but you're not the annoying guy that came over here and couldn't stop running his mouth, you're yeah. automatically cooler than that guy. See that I'll never be that guy. I will never show up at your no, table and you're like, God, Andy d- doesn't know when to leave. That's true. That's true. Or it could be he doesn't know when to leave because he leaves so soon. <laughs> or at least just ask. Just say like, hey, am I? And the thing is, you have to know when to ask that question because if you get f- too far deep, people are going to feel bad. No, yeah. if, if they say you've got to start right away and be like or just judge it. Don't even give them the chance to answer. Say, you know what? I'm going to leave you guys be like, enjoy your evening. If they're like, no, no, come here, sit down, whatever. Okay, then fine. Yeah. But don't, yeah, don't assume that. Yeah. This isn't a fucking bar hall in Germany. I think I talked about this guy. We were at, we were at our local watering hole that we go to. And uh, uh, it was after the live show. And a guy showed up there that is a talker and kind of annoying and oh, he sat down at our table. I could feel, like I you could feel uh, all of the other people I was sitting with just disassociate. Like the phones immediately came out, and I'm like stuck talking to this guy. And three times in this conversation, he's like, "Oh man, I scared off all your friends." And it's like, "Well, if you're fucking aware of that, anyway, that's it, not what this all is all about." Let me just <laughs> let me just give you a final point on that, though. Here's a question to ponder for everybody who's who's listening to this, because I think everybody's experienced this. Aren't we evolved enough as a species for you to be able to say in that moment, like, you know what, man? It was great seeing you. Nice to see you. I hope you enjoy the rest of your night. We're kind of going to get back to our thing over here. But thanks for stopping by. Yeah. And I wish you the best. I mean, you're still being nice. You're telling him to get the fuck out of there. And he should respect that. Yeah. Let's normalize that. That'd be great. Okay. If everyone hadn't, like, shoved off, I probably would have tried it. But then I would be like... I'm just going to be sitting here alone now, that essentially, guy's, you know. For for the record, that guy's a fucking douchebag. Yeah, he so, sucks. Yeah. He sucks. Uh, you know who's, who's not a douchebag? Kurt fucking Russell. Oh, my God. 
Crossel. All right. Let's talk about this. Interesting. Okay. Let's go. Let's do the Wikipedia facts and get into the greatest movie we've ever covered. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, so this is the thing. Oh, look at Tim. I actually I went to an actual optometrist. Like I have not been to an eye doctor in. I went to like the Target optometrist the last time I got my eyes checked. Top of, I went to yeah, an top actual of level, doctor yeah. with like their own office. Get some bifocals. Real excited. Oh shit! Age. Are you wearing them right now? No, no, no. They're not in yet. Yeah, they were showing me frames to get. She's like, what What kind of those, what kind of glasses are you wearing? Are those Ray-Bans? I'm like, I don't think so. She's like, I can see them peeling. I'm like, yeah, they're pretty fucking cheap. Will you get the chain to hang, like that gold <laughs> chain to hang down? Absolutely not. All right. Oh. Never. Well, now I don't need it. I won't, I won't need to take them off. Oh, that's but true. now I still need to raise them up to read. That, that looks, yeah, it's kind of hot, though. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So this is the thing from 1982. Uh, here are the Wikipedia facts. It was written by Bill Lancaster, directed by Jonathan Carpenter. It stars Kurt Russell, Keith David, and Wilford Brimley. It had a budget of $15 million. Uh, What? Just the starring Wilford Brimley. Go ahead. Uh, unknown Wilford Brimley right. at the time. Yes. Yeah. Who then would become a superstar three years later because of fucking Cocoon? Right. Or Bartles and James. Yeah. <laughs> uh, budget of $15 million, Box out of, of $19 million. Let's do Nan some, even though it's not needed. She watched this with me, had nightmares all night. But let's do Nan some. We'll get into some spoilers. During the first week of winter at an American research station in Antarctica, a Norwegian research team appears in violent pursuit of a dog. The Norwegians, in their haste, are killed, leaving a baffled American team wondering what made them act that way. R.J. McCready, helicopter pilot and chess enthusiast, flies out with Dr. Cooper to check on the Norwegian station. There, they find a smoldering bunker, a large open block of ice, and an unidentifiable mass of burnt tissue and of, oh, mass, what the fuck? I didn't proof, proofread this. Uh, they find an unidentifiable mass of burnt and melted tissue. That is what I wrote. Okay. After they return shortly later that night, the dog they rescued reveals it is not a dog at all, but a giant shape-shifting alien capable of the perfect replica. God damn it. A giant shape-shifting alien capable of the perfect replication of cellular matter. God damn. Realizing that killing the creature turns out to be harder than they expected, the team is overwhelmed with paranoia as they struggle to trust the people around them. Now McCready and the remaining survivors must root out the imposters, isolate themselves, and stop the spread before the world is infected by the thing. Well put. The greatest movie we've covered. <laughs> if you've ever had any Norwegian cooking, the idea of a Norwegian violently <laughs> tracking and hunting down a dog doesn't sound that far off the beaten path. Although, their desserts are fantastic. <laughs> their desserts are fantastic. Uh, those rosettas, those little star starfish yeah. things. They do a lot of the powdered sugar, the light, pa the crunchy pastries. Yes. But not that I like was in a earlier draft of this. This was kind of a hard one to write up, uh, as you could tell how hard it was even to read. Uh, I did. I was trying to toy with the beginning of like them showing up, but not with gifts of salted fish. Right. Yes. <laughs> or or saying ufta for all of our Norwegian. <laughs> right. Have you ever heard anybody say that before? Oh, ufta. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So the thing. God. So you had Jesus. not seen this all the way through ever. no 
No. And, and again, this is kind of like a recurring thing. We could have practically made this the, uh, the miniseries. Just stuff not being, you know, <laughs> boobs and butts and slashers and blood. Yeah. And, and so I always, it was always something I was going to get to. And I knew that I wanted to get to it. I love Kurt Russell. I love John Carpenter. It was, it was, oh, there was always going to be a time, but I never made that time for it to happen. And it was one of those things where I think that we were all in an age now where we see enough clips from things that we're like, yeah, maybe, maybe even trick yourself into thinking you have seen it. <laughs> right. Or I feel or like that I you've have seen enough. Now. Yeah. But no, I, I had never sat down to watch this. And, um, and it was a much, much more powerful experience than I was expecting. I, I experienced this movie on two levels, one for the, the movie itself. Yeah. And one that I'll talk about later that I feel is sort of the, the potential of film um, and how important it can be. Yeah. There's a lot to say there. Um, but as, as a film itself, I feel like there are many, many different facets of this movie that make it stand apart in the ways that you're saying, probably the best movie we'll ever cover yeah. that make it stand apart from, we, from nearly all of all other films. You texted me and we're pretty much like, I, I got to drive around and think about this. I did. <laughs> yeah. And I literally did. <laughs> it was awesome. late. I was tired, but I had, I had to just get out. I had to drive around. I had to like, I had to talk out loud, just like everything I was talking about in the first, <laughs> right. whatever, 20 minutes of this. Um, and I just had to, to reason some of this out. Um, and it was, um, it, 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 there's two ways to look at it. Glass half full or glass half empty. As far as, you know, you can either be really, really happy that this movie exists, or you can be really, really sad that there aren't more movies like this. (laughs) Right. It's one or the other. Um, but I think that there are, if you want to just put it simply that there are some, I don't want to say invisible, but subtle risks that this movie takes that are very unconventional for Hollywood films that are, were probably the exact reasons for its downfall and it, or, or, you know, um, financially, but also the very same reasons why it is as amazing of a film as it is. Cause we should point out, yeah, when this movie came out, it would, I mean, it obviously it made money like barely, but like it was considered a bomb. Yes. Like audiences were not into it. Critics were like, what a fucking joke. Yeah. Guess who's the joke now? Right. Roger Ebert. Right. He actually gave it one of the more positive <laughs> reviews. I would hope that at least. <laughs> Two and a half stars, though. I mean, that's where we're at. Yeah. Where that's... it's like, wow, like I loved the thing. I gave it two and a half stars. He would give like batteries not included <laughs> two and a half stars. I mean, they're like just run of the mill tripe. Yeah. Just crap. Um, and, but I mean, let's just start with the first abnormality, maybe the first movie that we've ever covered written by a man with one leg shorter than the other. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Bill Lancaster, Burt Lancaster's son. Yeah. Also a real bill. Also a really good looking guy. looks a lot like his dad. Yeah. Had polio at a young age. One, one leg shorter than the other. Okay. As a result, polio. What a fucking motherfucker. Polio was, um, but anyhow, he writes it, and he writes it based on the, the novella 
um, who goes there from 1938. Don't get too fancy out there and think that this is a metaphor for the Red Scare of the 50s. (laughs) It was written in 38. And what is so fucking cool, um, it was written by uh, John W. Campbell Jr. What's so cool about this is that a lot of times when you and I cover these movies that are based on books or older books or whatever it may be, that we go back, we see the movie version, and then you go back and you read about the story, and you're like, that's kind of some tame-ass shit compared to what the movie was. Right. But if you go back and you look and you you research that story, it's pretty much the movie. Yeah, he was pretty faithful. I mean, it's, the Because the, this had already been made before. Yeah. Uh, we talked about it as we covered John Carpenter's Halloween. Yes. Because they're watching the original uh I forget the guy who made it Banks or Marks or something like oh, that. Oh, Hawks. Hawks. Thank yeah, you. Howard Hawks. That, yeah. yeah. John Carpenter, huge fan of his yeah. and liked that adaptation, but he read the book and was like, Oh fuck, this is nothing like that movie. Right. This has a guy in a suit, which I hate. Uh this seems cool. Let's I want to do this. And what? they said, okay. Because he was taken off of, no, wait. Oh, no, he was taken off Firestarter because of this movie. Well, no. And that's when he did Christine. Right. Okay. Right. So See, we did these movies out of order, and now my fucking, like, John it's all Carpenter a jumbled mess at the same so time, though. Whack, yeah. But it's, it's weird. So, yeah, Universal got the, somebody, and we covered this. God, it was, um, what was it? It was we covered a movie that Carpenter was supposed to direct, but didn't because this project failed. And the project the, the prior started. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the project was let's take these old universal films and remake them. And and we'll do this whole thing. And, you know, John Carpenter's going to do them and it's going to be fucking great. And then this happened. And then he was taken off of what would have been the future uh, projects. So Universal had acquired the rights to this after it passed through fucking a bajillion people. I will not, because I love our listening audience, I will not bore you <laughs> with how many different people the rights to this pass through. But it, Carpenter was approached in 76, but Carpenter was, you know, he was an independent guy. This is prior to Halloween. Yeah. And they're like, we like this guy, but he's not really a studio guy. So that um, they were looking at, at uh, Toby Hooper. And so he was going to be attached to it because he, they had already done uh, chainsaw, but then Toby Hooper comes up with the treatment and they're just like, yeah, we don't, we don't really care for this at all. And then and like you the, know, the monster runs around with a chainsaw. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's out of ideas. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> The audience is Texas now, <laughs> right? The audience is going. To, you're excited about it morphing into so many different models of chainsaw, <laughs> but the audience isn't going to be familiar with the uh, with the, the details there. So, so anyways, it gets shelved until just you know Hollywood. It's so so silly. Uh, it gets shelved. This amazing project until money comes along and it's Alien in '79. Yeah. So Alien comes along and they're like, hey, we got an Alien script. So then they go back to it. They offer it to uh, to Carpenter again. Why? Because he made some money <laughs> right. with Halloween. And um, so. And the fog. This is back in a time where people loved the fog. <laughs> yes. I a can't really time. imagine that. But yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. They. 
Yeah, they just much love to our fans who liked the fog. Yeah, we did we got? I know to, you're uh, out some there. Messages on that crazy and, uh, bastards. Yeah, you know what? It's okay to like a movie. It's yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's okay to be wrong. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, it's okay to be wrong. Yeah, um, you heard our "They Live" episode. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they heard your part in that. And then, uh, so Carpenter was a fan of uh, Bill Lancaster's writing because Bill Lancaster, despite his disparity in, in leg length, had written "Bad News Bears." Yeah. And he liked it. And by the way, we all did. Yeah. I have never met someone who was like, hated that movie. Right. And I don't even. Probably plenty who haven't seen it, which is fine. I have seen. Oh, I saw the Bad News Bears. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, And uh, so. It's good to see there are some movies you've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Outside. A lot of people are like, that seems weird. Like why he would then write the thing. And I don't think it's, you know. I don't think he was picked for the sci-fi angle. It's more he knows how to write an ensemble, right? Of people, sure. They're both a team of both movies are twelve people working together, and all those kids are swearing. You know, they all have different and, voices. Yeah, they yeah. all have different little separate, you know, yeah, identities. All little unique kids. Yeah. So no, in that way, he's sort of perfect. And and it, like you and I were discussing earlier, I don't want to take this away from you because it's important, but. Lancaster came up with some ideas outside of the original, um, you know, the uh, the the core material for it in that original story with things like the blood test. Yeah. So Carpenter's already kind of on board, but then Lancaster is really the one coming up with these cool bits that Carpenter, who is already attached, is like, OK, now I really want to do it. Yeah. You know? Especially since you cut it down from 37 people to 12. <laughs> yeah, the story had 37 people. Which me personally, I still have a hard time following the 12 that we have. But I mean, that's that's fine. They're all they're all great. They're all separate. Yeah. They all have I their own. I can't even imagine, though, a book like how easy that would be to follow 37 people. It'd be impossible. A lot of them have to die right. early-ish or something. I don't know. I, right. I didn't really read into the book, so. So there, they, and there were some other changes too. Like they took, um, they took uh, uh, Kurt Russell's character from being a meteorologist to quote thirty five helicopter pilot likes chess, hates, hates the, the cold. cold. The pay is good. Yeah, <laughs> like, that was the, the fact character that that description is a character on the, on description. The script. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you know, which that, sums him up great. And I didn't realize that there is God. I should have written it down. There is like a there is like an archetype character that that making those changes they created. But it's like it's an actual character from a comic book. Oh. But now they use it as the name for that's a blank blank type of character, which is a a sort of like capable hero that maybe is a little reluctant. Yeah, but he has a lot of experience. He's a little. He's a little rough around the edges, but he has more experience than everybody else. So he's kind of like the reluctant leader. That's like a whole like template okay. for for a lead. And so they they basically created that. It's like um I don't know, it's like Doc Savage or something like that. It's like a oh. it's like a name. Okay. So it's it's a thing. But they they made that and then um and so they you know, there there were some some things that changed in there though. And what I thought was interesting about this was that Carpenter is a writer. Yeah. Carpenter could have written the script. Carpenter is a composer. He could have composed the score, 
But I love the fact that Carpenter was like, I don't have to do all of it. Right. And so, but that it's not to say though, that he didn't interject and put some of his own thoughts in there that were thankfully music. Yeah. (laughs) He ended up throwing in some of his own music, changed the ending. And, um, and so, you know, all of those things, it was a little nice and collaborative. Um, And what's funny is that, like you and I were talking about earlier, they auditioned like every, I don't want to say like leading man, but every sort of like leading man that is all the type of, the type of actor that can be a leading man or a character actor, those guys, yeah, they auditioned all of them. And, and ultimately Russell was picked because he was as boring as this, this may be dependable. <laughs> like it wasn't a whiner. Yeah. But we even heard that when we covered Bone Tomahawk. Bone Tomahawk, yeah. And the guys were like, we had no budget. We had to pick him up in this shitty ass car and with no air conditioning and drive him to the set. Fucking Kurt Russell. Yeah. And with this like, you know, esteemed career. And but he just apparently is a guy that just rolls with the punches. Yeah. You know? So he ended up getting the role. Um, and then uh we get uh a he grew shoot. his hair out for a year. Yeah. He looks I know I've simped on some men before on this podcast, but <laughs> God damn it, dude. He looks so hot and not sexy hot. He's just fucking hot. Well, I'll tell you what I think it is. He's got those pale blue eyes. He's got what's oh, called eyes are hooded ridiculous. eyes, and which are bedroom eyes. So they're like if when an eye sort of like is hooded, it sort of looks a little sleepy. Yeah. And so he's got this dreamy look to his eyes, but the rest of him is is grizzled with, <laughs> yeah. the, with the hair and the beard. So he's like this pretty guy that is grizzled. And it's like, well, how does it get any better than that? Yeah, I'll tell you how it gets better. He puts on a giant, <laughs> comically giant floppy hat that any other person on this planet putting it on. You would be like, are you going to like a joke party or why right. why where where did you buy that spencer's gifts right but kurt russell puts this hat on you're like i gotta get one of those hats <laughs> right yes um i don't know where and by the way there is nowhere to get the hat oh. but i mean i have to have one um and it's great and and they did have it was it was a horribly difficult shoot um you know they're in alaska to start out with now granted they had they had had the luxury of building the sets while it was warmer in alaska so that part was all taken care of but ultimately carpenter felt like he had a lot of guys just inside talking and it was just and it's not to say that there isn't that in this movie in the finished yeah. product but even more so so but it's true there aren't any and i noticed that while watching it just kind of like where you're like okay they're back figuring things out like everything happens kind of quickly yet this feels like a long movie well i'm gonna say this i wrote this line down and i'm proud of it Uh uh-huh never has there been a movie that needed me less (laughs) and that is the fucking truth this movie just exists in and of itself it doesn't give a shit about you as the viewer. It's a great film, but there is an utter absence of, you know, like open the door. Boom. There's the, the jump scare and yeah. the spooky guy scared me or whatever. Yeah. Everything that you at least 
initially thought that you hated about the strangers, but it, there wasn't as much there, but some. Everything that you hated about, like, I don't like when a movie is trying to be scary, but I know that there are bits in it that are just for me. Right. That don't play into the reality or the realism of the scene. Right. There is none of that in no. this movie. Do they hold on some some creature effects for a while? Well, yeah, but they should. Right. And you would, if you were there, look at that fucking thing. <laughs> right. So there's nothing abnormal about that. But this movie, in its pacing, in its development you are seeing things and experiencing things at the same level and time and knowledge that these guys are yeah and that's the best part about it there was they recut this movie for tv some fucking suit recut this movie and he had this beginning that was all like you know <laughs> None of that, like, it, it, kind of like that Tarantino stuff of, like, freeze frame. Here's some script. Da, 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 this <laughs> right, a character's yeah. name. This is where they're from. This is their job. Thinking it's that the- say all that shit, McCready. Right. Helicopter pilot, loves chess, <laughs> Literally, hates yes. the cold, pays good. Yeah, hot as fuck. <laughs> right. Um, despite the weather. And, yeah, so, like, we don't need that. And, yeah, when you start watching the movie, are you a little- a little lost but you know um, you almost just kind of feel like you're the new hire like you're just right. getting to know these guys and they nobody's going to go out of their way to be like i'm so and so this is this person you know you just have to figure it out so this movie yeah i will say for this being a research facility I don't know what any of their real jobs are, except for <laughs> McCready, who's the helicopter pilot, and the doctor, okay. who is like the doctor. I wanted to now. I I I I'm gonna I'm gonna wager with you one thing. I'm gonna go to the bathroom one time in this episode, okay? But I'm gonna I'm gonna push you on that because you don't know the Get answer. Ready for the shortest episode. You don't know the answer, <laughs> but I'm gonna force you to do it because you know science more than I do. That was an exact question that I had. Yeah. I literally wrote down somewhere in these pages, why the fuck would anybody want to be a scientist? Yeah. What in the world could they possibly be studying up there with that particular crew of people? Well, uh, well that's a great question. I mean, I only know of a few things that they you do study in Antarctica. Most of it is climate-based. Uh, the, uh, the one portly, red-haired, curly guy curly haired guy he uh seemed to know a lot about the ice and how it was moving so that's a good question i i'm sure there's some sort of climate scientist i mean obviously you know mccready was a meteorologist before uh there is not a lot more to study unless you're studying antarctic animals and their environment not much more to study than ice itself and the properties that are contained. I mean, now, I don't know if they did this in 1980, but now they take giant ice cores uh, that have been, you know, forming over hundreds of thousands, millions of years. And then they analyze those ice cores and you can see, you know, it's like uh, it's like looking at a cut of rock with all the layers of rock where you can be like, oh, wow, like at this time this mineral was present in the air. This was, you know, that's how we know how much like CO2, how, how we can gauge CO2 levels in the past and shit like that, just from ice cores. So the, the, the answer is ice cores. I don't know. Okay. But, but here's a question though. I know there's people that do that. 
The closest thing that I've ever known is maybe, and it's not the same thing at all. Like maybe missionaries. Like I've known a couple of people that went to like Haiti or whatever. Yeah. Have you ever known personally anybody that has had one of these hardcore fucking jobs where they like go somewhere remote and just like no. live? No. So but who I mean, the fuck does that? There's, you know, it's like knowing an astronaut. Like there are very few people who do that. It's not, we're not sending hundred, you know, thousands of people down well, to research true. in yeah. Antarctica. It's. Yeah, it's like 30 at a time, I would okay. assume. Okay. Did you read the thing about the uh, the two fans that went looking for the uh, location? No. Two fans in, Antarctica? in, in 2000, not in Antarctica, Oh, in, in BC, in, in British Columbia. Oh, okay. Because so they do have that map of Antarctica that shows where their base is. <laughs> right. So they actually, and where they ultimately filmed, just to run through it real quick, they started in Alaska, came back to L.A., to shoot some interior stuff and they had to employ like every cooling mechanism known to man because the temperature outside was a hundred degrees. So they had to have every air conditioner, every anything you could think of to make it like they, I think they got it down to 28 degrees inside the studio. And then after that, they went to BC where they filmed more of the, uh, the exterior scenes. So, in but where they went in BC was not. It wasn't Antarctica, but it wasn't safe. It wasn't nice. I mean, right. the, the the bus that they Listen, were on. Unless you know, unless you're in the bottom five percent of Canada, none of that and north is safe. Like that's no dangerous, treacherous. Like the bus slid a hundred and fifty feet. Like almost went over. Like with everyone on it, Jesus, almost went over a cliff. But two guys, two fans in 2003 actually went to the site, found it. There's still remnants of Outpost 31 there. Wow. Uh, from And they actually took the rotor from the Norwegian helicopter oh wreckage. And, and the guy actually owns it as a part of memorabilia. That's pretty cool. It's pretty badass. Um, I, I kind of we should probably go there. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've only seen Canada from Detroit. But I mean, if I'm going to go there, I'm going to fucking guy. go there. Yeah. Steve, meet us at the the helicopter wreckage. If you, you know like. where it's at, yeah, right? You've been there. It's probably like your St. Louis Arch. So, <laughs> right, just colder, um, and and less crime. But um, but let me just say this, and I want to get into this real quick because I, I just I got to get it off my mind. Uh, this is this is fascinating to me, and I promise because I I I, I want to talk about the impact of this film so we can get back to the film itself. Cause there's so much there. Yeah. But here's the thing that I experienced. And I touched on this a little bit earlier about the, how stark this movie is, how, how much it doesn't play up to the, to the viewer for God's sake. There's, there's a moment in this movie jumping all the way to the end where three men decide that they're they know they're going to die and they say we're, we're none of us are going to make it out of here alive but neither is that thing yeah and there's no vamping music there's no like camera up from the floor like slowly like coming up to their faces you blink and you miss it and they say we're we're going to die yeah. but we're going to save the fucking world in, in in the process and it's the most selfless you know, heroicism that I think I've ever seen on screen. And it, it makes me wonder about 
what what a lack of realism uh, or or the impact that film can have for for what we do see, and and what that is is that you know the the kind of question of can a film be quote unquote important? Yeah. And I remember this is ridiculous. I remember seeing this thing about um, there was a fashion person and she was talking. She's fine, but she was talking about that there was this really important gene for this season. Like uh-huh. it literally like said, blue like gene? yeah, this okay. this gene is a really important gene. And you know, for somebody like me, yeah, I get it. But I mean, for most people, it's that's a ridiculous thing to say. But I wonder about the importance of film and the fact that this movie can be that affecting and that and that how few other films are willing and have the bravery to show the stark reality of something versus uh, vamping it up for for cinematic sake. Yeah. And it made me think. So I, I, I kind of went back in my mind and I tried to think about like the most serious movie. And obviously the the first one that, that comes to mind is like Schindler's List. Sure. Right? And I, I, I thought about that movie. Now it's Spielberg, right? So Schindler's List is Schindler's List. I don't want to take anything away from it. But he still finds his moments, because he's Spielberg, to take his beats, slow things down a little bit. Um, because that's one thing about this movie is that it is relentless. Yeah. It is relentless. There was a moment where I paused it. And I was going to, like, uh, go to the bathroom or, or get a glass of water or something. Ended up, like... I did something else and I came back to like eight minutes later and I started again. I'm like, Oh, like, okay, now I'm ready again. The movie does not let up at all. Yeah. I, I love not to get too far off track right now, uh, but I love how this movie, I don't want to say starts, but once it like hits the gas, cause you're the first reveal is, the fucking dog's face peeling open like a banana, right? Which is pretty gnarly in and itself. Um, but like, it would be so easy for a movie, and I'm so glad this movie doesn't do that to then like cut away, right? So now we to do one of those things for us. Now we, as the audience, knows there's like an issue, but no one else knows, and the whole movie is just us trying to. You know, waiting for them to figure it out. Yeah. To, to find out what we know. Yeah. And then solve the problem. Fuck that. This movie's like, no, this dog's going to peel open like a banana. Are we going to cut away? No, absolutely not. Now it's going to grow six arms and another head out of its chest. Everyone's going to run in. It's going to grow arms and climb up into the ceiling. Uh, they're going to, you know, everyone fucking sees it. Everyone immediately knows what the fuck is going on. Uh, that's so awesome and that that's what makes this movie i would be so bored yeah if i was just waiting because that's a movie where it just has to be all your kills have to be isolated kills sure. right you know what i'm saying i mean that that's the whole thing with this movie is you don't want to be isolated with someone but in that movie just anytime someone's in a room by themselves or with one other person you're just going Okay, this person probably, with how I know movies are made, this person probably will die or yeah. something will happen here. Uh, but in this movie, it's, you know, it, it these moments happen with a group of people and right. you still get a, like, huge jump scare. Like, the blood testing scene is so great because uh, everyone's sitting there. 
and they even do such an awesome job of setting up like, oh, yeah, we know it's you and we'll do you in a minute. Boom. Blood blows up. Right. Not that guy. A no. different guy. Um, and the the other big scene, the defibr- defibrillator yes. scene. I had to say that a little slowly. Um, yeah, like that. Like you're so wrapped up. And every every single person is in that room. Like that's the whole point of that. McCready is like, get everyone in here. I'm never letting anyone out of my sight. Right. Uh, and yet, still, like the fucking chest mouth oh. is one of the coolest. That whole segment from the chest mouth to the head ripping itself off the body to save itself, growing spider legs and little crab eyes. Yes. And then it like walking out and no one really noticing it. And then everyone turning slowly, <laughs> like, right. holy fuck. Um, and if you do know, cause that's before the blood testing scene, you know, the, the guy who is a thing is like, Whoa, what's that? The right. He is very good at self-preservation. It is. Yeah. And it's and it's incredibly smart. You know, like it there's moments where it like at the very end, like knows to grab a detonator. Right. Like it, it obviously is an incredibly smart thing. But no, I, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. And that and that goes back to to what I was saying too, is that you're right. It's it's not like a lot of this stuff is showcased. A lot of it is just it's just sort of happening and it's happening in front of all of them. It's happening in front of us and, and it's unrelenting and it never takes a Hollywood moment to God. Even there's a scene where Kurt Russell has, I I guess you could call it a monologue where he's tape recording a, yeah. a sort of log, uh, knowing that things are getting bad. Be like audience, here's where we're at. Right. Here's what we're doing. But even that we're is about to not start the climax. But it doesn't like vamp up with a ton of music. No, it's not written overly like lyrically or poetic poetically. Like it would have been a moment that anybody would have given their left nut to do that monologue if it would have been how it would normally have been written right. which is like you know maybe a little bit emotional or whatever but it's just everything in this movie is so stark and so matter of fact that that's what that's where i see the bravery in it that's where i see the willingness of carpenter to make a movie that so many other people wouldn't do and it kind of reminds me of like just when you're ready to give up on an art form or or you think you've seen everything, like you're a big fan of the A24 stuff. Like sure. here we are in this day and age and movies have been made for how long now? And yet here comes this new crop of filmmakers that are presenting us with something that we feel is is fresh. Yeah. So there's still this unlimited potential. What I was talking about in that, in that um, Schindler's List comparison was that, you know, it is it's Schindler's list, but it's still a Spielberg movie. But there's one part in that movie where, you know, and I am whatever you want to call it, you know, MMA, tough guy, horror <laughs> fan, all this stuff. There's that scene where the um, the people in the camp are being led into the showers. Yeah. And um, everybody has like a really confused look on their face and um, and they seem scared. And I remember watching that and, and saying, I don't want to see this anymore. I don't want to watch this right. anymore. And then they and, turn uh, on the showers. Right. And then. And but they're really showers. Right. Yeah. But I. I uh, he gotcha. I just. Uh, I, I remember in that moment thinking about how 
important film could be that I could see something that it was just like, I don't want to see this anymore. Yeah. And so I, I thought about how powerful that was. And it made me think a little bit about not to get too heady, but about what, what, what is more real? Like, isn't this, isn't this funny? Isn't this ironic? You have an, an art form that has made up words to be said by people that didn't think of those words in clothes that are not their own right. in places that were built and not real in search of truth. Yeah. <laughs> all to, we're going to take right. all this artifice in search of the real truth of humanity. Yeah. But is that any less real than being out at the bar with your friends and somebody says, let's take a selfie and then all of a sudden you pretend like you're in the middle of like roaring, <laughs> right, you know, yeah. throwing up the devil horns or whatever. I, came, and I was in the middle of rocking out, but I came over for this photo. <laughs> right. So is is that any more real than people putting a concerted effort, hundreds, thousands of people putting an effort into maybe it's not real life in the moment, but you're seeking out a truth. And I, I, when I started thinking about all of that, it started really making me think about how important film can be. Yeah. And, um, and this movie, I'm not even sure if I can think of, of its equal right now, but it's willingness to show um, fear, uh, heroism, um, paranoia, just natural human reaction yeah. without trying to, God, I mean, there's even a moment where, <laughs> where, where Kurt Russell leaves with with um, Knowles, is yeah. that his name? And and they go out, and we don't even see what happens. Now, granted, that's part of it that that we're we're not really sure what yeah. took place up back there. But normally, you'd be like, "Well, what the fuck happened there?" And I don't know what's what anymore. But you don't even question that because if you were in that situation. Those things would be happening. Yeah. Some guys leave. What the fuck happened there? What's going to happen to us in here? Like there is no safe space yeah. in this place at all. There's a game that I've tried getting I, uh, another group of our friends. We've we, we gamed a lot over the pandemic. Um, and there was this game I tried to get them to play, dude. And no one, no one wants to like learn. You know, it's like any board game or something. Like Fortnite, you can be like, pick up this gun and shoot someone with yeah. it, right? But like this, this game was called Project Winter, dude. It's like a thing game, but yeah. it's like you're playing. You're all in this like stranded cabin, and two players are. It's like the Among Us. This this type of game became very popular over the last like few years, where it's a group game. Everyone's trying to achieve one goal, and then you have like two people who are saboteurs. But that the the project winner was so cool because it used like proximity chats. So you could talk to people, but like you had to do different tasks so you could go off. And now only you could hear the guy you're standing next to Ooh, I like everyone that. else in the game. Can't hear you anymore. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And so, but there are other natural elements. So a guy could be attacked by a bear or I fucking killed him and told you he was attacked by oh. a bear. Right. This game was so fun. And then, but you had to go and repair shit to be rescued and then you also like you could poison the food like there's and then but if they figured out it was you, they kill you and then they continue on with their tasks. Right. Oh, wow. So the whole point is to not be figured out because it's also on a timer or whatever. So you want to delay them. And people and, didn't want to play this game. No, they were Holy just shit, like, dude, can we just play another racing game? I don't or, even play video games. Yeah. I would play that. 
Yeah. So, man, that game. Well, let me that ask game you, is so this movie, and I was so ah. building off of that same concept of of the not knowing. One of the biggest parts that that anybody who watches this film is wondering is, okay, when someone's when someone is infected. This is a great question. I I love this idea. Do you know that you're the thing? Right. I I would say you do, but I do love in this movie, especially because Windows, Windows, my daughter's favorite character. She loved him. Mm-hmm. He might be the worst death where, where he gets his head clamped down on by another sideways, like Pac-Man kind of head. Yeah. And then just tossed around in the most hilarious like, <laughs> yeah. effect of the movie. <laughs> Yeah, those. Like, it's if like gonna... when your friend shows up to a costume party and like half of them's not real. Like it's just this big floppy. Yeah, yeah. Box. Just you see the fabric like flapping in the wind, <laughs> yes. but there's no mass yeah. in it. Yeah. Oh, no, there's that. That was the one that I was kind of like, eh, could have worked a little. Yeah. That might have been when uh, Rob Botten, uh, the the main effects creator on this, 21 years old when he started, by the way, had double pneumonia and had to go into the hospital. Yeah, and like, I'm, I'm exhausted. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then Stan Winston, God love him, stepping in and helping with the effects, but yet refusing to be credited because he wanted the kid yeah. Rob Botton to get all the credit. So what was I saying? What was I talking? Why did I bring up windows? Well, we were, ju- we were talking Put the shit in my drink, Tim. Well, yeah, but <laughs> let me just say, let me just say what we were talking about is also the incubation period. So that, so the question oh, right. is, yeah. so windows, are you, he gets his blood tested and gives a sigh of relief. Like, Oh, thank God. Like everyone else there is like, I know I'm not, or I, I am. Right. Yeah. They also, especially the ones who aren't, are very confident. We never really see anyone. I, I, because the guy who is who I can't just Reverend Jim. I don't remember his name. Yeah, the stoner guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he is the thing in the blood test scene. Um, but he never really like, and that's the point. You're not supposed to pay attention to him. That's the sure. great curveball. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I would think you know that you are, but it's well, it would, but just by saying it or posing that question. Makes the ending ten times more interesting. Well, but that's that's the question, though. By uh, we, I think we, it would because it itself. Well, we have to define. Okay, we have in order to know this, we have to define what that break is, right? Because at one point you're you, right? Right. But your whole life, but until you encounter the thing, so you're you. The thing infects you, right? It yeah. gets into you. And then the question is, at what point does the thing become the sentient part of you to where what I'm saying is, is it like a light switch? Like where all of a sudden you are not you anymore. Well, it's I if you read into the story itself and there were scenes that they cut because they were just like, can't do it. Yeah. Like when uh, Wilford Brimley's character, Blair. Uh, they lock him up because he he realized he's the first guy to realize, oh, if this thing gets out, the planet's fucked. Yes. Like I've run some numbers, guys, and it's not good. So he's like he destroys everything. And I think then he's still a human. I believe so. Yes. He's like I. he destroys all the equipment. He sabotages the truck, the helicopter, everything. He's like, no one's leaving here. Right. Because this thing can't get out. So they lock him up in a <laughs> 
in a shed. Right. Because he's trying to shoot people, too. He tries to fucking kill Kurt Russell with an axe. Yes. That's a pretty cheap-ass table. He puts that axe through. <laughs> right, yes. It's like a piece of plywood. Um. Uh, so he's human there. Yeah, he's human so there. when does he turn that? He turns, I think that because they come out. Um, now, here's the here's the big question, because he does. They come out one more time to talk to him and he's much calmer. Yeah. There is a noose hanging in there, which is pretty hilarious. Right. Like he's already made a noose, but he's just like, I'm not going to hurt anyone. I'm a lot better now. Any anger I had before is gone. Yeah, I'd just like to come back inside, please. There, mm. I think he's still human. Now, when they the last time they come back, the door is busted open because we do know there is a thing out there because it's killed the guy with the glasses. I forget that guy's name. A lot of names in this that I don't remember. I think it goes and breaks in there and then assimilates because it's more of a so it assimilates him, right? Yeah, or becomes him or whatever it is. So. What they wanted to do, uh, the the moment where the guy with the eyebrows, yeah. the old guy that's tied to the fucking church, sure. he cool effect where Thing Blair shows up behind him, shoves his like hand in his mouth, yeah, his fingers, and his, like fingers under his cheeks, yeah. yeah. That was it's more of an it absorbs you and becomes you, yeah. So I don't know if that then means because we don't get to see enough of its cycle or whatever right because i'm assuming the dog became the red-haired guy with the chest cabin. okay yes yes we see the dog walk into great, his just room a great little yeah the dog just is not making any noise and is just kind of like wandering around watching people and like we know now but no watching it knowing it's like oh wow it's just down this like Long hallway, silently, and it's just picking like the most isolated person. Yes. There's no noise. You just see the silhouette of the person. And as they turn and look, boom, fade to black. Oh, yeah. So it's awesome. Oh, God's badass. Um, so, yeah. It's, now, what I was going to say was, does the... Well, no, because the dog's still around. So I wonder if it absorbs and then splits. We don't know. We never see it itself uh, come to fruition. Uh, we only see, you know, it attacks some dogs and it's trying to make a dog. Like a dog's trying to come out of it, right? Yeah, before right. it's burned. Um, now we do see when the bald red-haired guy, uh, because we learn this is when McCready and the doctor are reading through some of the files and they're like, Oh, it says it's not dead. Like they thought they killed it, but some of this tissue is still alive. Cut back to the shit they've brought back from the Norwegian camp. Right. That's now dripping and running. Yes. Uh, windows leaves the room, comes back. That guy is wrapped up, but he's got like, you know, tentacles in his mouth. Yeah. Um, and he looks puffy. So it's like, yeah, has it gone in him? Is it going inside of him and doing something? Because it's, it doesn't do that to the dogs, right? It, like, shoots its tentacles out at the dogs. Yeah. Um, and then we only get one red-haired, bald red-haired guy who's not fully formed. He's got the big droopy mittens. Um, right. And the scream, which is fucking awesome. Yeah. The thing, the scream thing this guy does. So cool. Um so long story short, I don't know. 
how the thing works. But the great thing is I don't give a fuck because this movie is too good to care about. And they're not that rule-breaking to even care about. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because the thing – yeah, you're, you you make a good point. So obviously when the thing is attacking somebody, it's doing it in a really graphic fashion. Yes. That, that is undeniable, right? But if the thing has enough time to assimilate, then – okay, I think I'm answering my own question here. I think that the transformation into going from being who you are into the thing is probably pretty quick. Yeah. So because because there's this big graphic, whatever, it's sticking its hands in your face, whatever it may be. Because it's shooting out tentacles. Blair. Right. So when it when it does become that person or not by the, Blair, by the, the red haired guy. Right. By the time you would see somebody who doesn't look fucked up, but is the thing, they're all the thing. Yeah. By by that time, if they if they have compl- if the thing has completely um, replicated the look of that person, that person's gone. Yeah, completely. Yes. And so, so, but, 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 what's neat is that because of the relentless pace of the film, you find your, you find it impossible to keep up. Like you can't say like, what about that guy? Or I'm suspicious of that. You're forgetting the people that you were suspicious about and then getting confused about like it, it, it happens so fast. Now, I imagine if you watched it several times, you might be able to track it a little bit better. Yeah. But really like. Well, we it, were trying to do that because okay. I was like, because we were debating is child's a thing. Yes. At the end. Yeah. Um, because. So the uh, Reverend Jim, that's what I'm going to call that guy. Yes. Uh, they're when they're they're the first time they're kind of grouping up to go out, uh, and he's like, "Windows, you go with Reverend Jim," and he's like, "I'm not going with Windows. I'll go with Childs." Yeah. And then it turns out that guy is a thing. Don't know when he became a thing, but it's shortly after when they get back. Yeah. Because that's when they do the blood test after they get back from that. Yes. So I'm, but. Without thinking of that detail, I was like, I think Childs might be because he was like, I'm not going with Windows. I'll go with Childs. And he probably turned Childs there. But then Nancy was like, well, he passes the blood test, though, right after that. And I was like, fuck, you're right. Okay, probably probably not then. Right. So I don't know when that guy then would have become a thing. Or why wouldn't he have used the opportunity? Because he can easily overpower anything. Right. right. The thing can so why would you not? That's why I think at the end, neither of them are infected because we we, oh. we see too much of Kurt Russell. Yeah. Um, to like that would that would have never happened. We would have seen that the unless only, it happened the, when he was gone. But he did. His, he passed the blood test. The, right. He did or pass he the, blood the blood test. test. Right. But the thing is. The one thing that is really that will really make you stop and think about Kurt Russell's character is the fact that they find the ripped up clothing. So Kurt Russell himself is the one when he's clearly, clearly without any question human to discover that he thinks and he says it in that taped monologue that he thinks that the thing sort of like breaks out of the clothing that the person's wearing. So a lot of people have tried to use that. And monitor like who's wearing different clothes okay. as a way to measure like who the thing is. Okay. Um, but they find McCready's ripped clothes outside. Yeah. So, but we never ever forget just how smart this thing is. Right. 
So I could have been set up. Right. And McCready mentions that if we're assuming that McCready is human, he mentions that I didn't I turned off the light when I was up in my little shanty. So whoever was the thing at that time could have gone up to his shanty, gotten his clothes, ripped them up, planted them because obviously and and would have recognized that McCready is the clear leader or, you know, reluctant, whatever, but still the leader of the right. group. So that would have been a thing that the thing would have thought of. Right. So that's fine. I, ha- I do. So have- I don't, I was going to finish with Childs at the end. I think just because all the thing needs is to have you isolated in that moment, it would know those two are the only two left. Right. Right. So the thing is not, while it, can act human is not human would not be like, well, I need to have a little cheeky conversation with this guy before sure. I assimilate him. It would just show up and he'd be like, are you the only one that's left? <laughs> Done over. Now, let me ask you this question though. So let's say the thing is child. Yeah. Can it is, is so it can assimilate and make more of itself. I don't know if it can replicate. Or like duplicate, it can just. But weren't more of the dogs? Weren't multiple dogs things? No. No, it attacked. They burned all the dogs that attacked. But I thought that the, in the pen that there was obviously the thing dog, right? Yeah. But then I think that the, I thought that there were like multiple dogs had gotten affected. Well, yeah, and they torched them all. Those they didn't go anywhere. They were the ones that ran out. Right. And I mean, yes, you I guess could always what I'm saying say like is, how did maybe they could be infected. I guess but. what I'm saying is if I know what you're saying, if child's was the thing, first of all, if there's if you could only be one person at a time. See, I why don't think you, that I don't think you that's right. You, you can, can be several. OK, OK. I because it's like when it's when it's. Zapping the dogs, a dog is coming out of it, right? Right. So, like, we don't get to see the end of it, but I would assume that it could, like, it almost, like, splits like a cell, but instead of, like, a cell would split as it into two separate things, or the same thing, you know what I'm saying? It splits into the two things that it's made. Well, that's So, fine. it's like... Okay, there you go. Is that mitosis? Is that what it's called when a cell will uh, replicate itself and split? That's kind of what it's doing on a cellular level, but it's replicating two separate things. Sure, splitting, which is fine. That's my theory on how it works. But my but my point is is that, that if, if I was way. if I was the thing, and if I wanted to take over the world, do I just wait for myself to split and replicate myself? Or do I infect you, but still become, I'm still the thing. Yes. But I infect you and make you a thing too. Yes. Okay. See, that's also, I think the thing that makes it a little hard to understand is using the word infect. Because I don't, it's not really infecting, but I don't think we really had a better word for it. Or, you know, it's just the word they used. It's a good term to kind of explain what's going on. Sure. But I don't think it's like it can quote, infect at a cellular level because you only need like a small amount that yeah. you determine of this thing to then to then grow. But yeah, it's not like I'm Andy and I I caught the thing and it just like attached itself to my brainstem. It's like, no, no, 
Like I'm the thing, just a perfect genetic replication sure. of myself. Sure, sure, sure. So, so here's the thing. So what you're talking about at the end, there's a lot of people that have the theories specifically about that bottle of whiskey. That, yes. That's okay. Thing. That is the okay. So last one. some people will say that Kurt Russell, who which obviously there's <laughs> for them being as desolate as they are, there's apparently no end to like tubs of they're like sponsored by J and B. Yeah, right. <laughs> there, there is like accelerant and fuel all over this place, <laughs> gasoline, kerosene, whatever it may be. So some people will say, well, you got to keep warm. Right. Well, yeah, that, that makes good sense. Yeah. So some people would say that Kurt Russell's character at the very end has this bottle. Now, we've seen Kurt Russell drinking throughout the movie. It's even kind of purported that he could be an alcoholic, whatever. Th- that's beside the point. What we do know is that when we see him with that bottle at the end, that he doesn't take a drink from it. Right. He just has the bottle. Right. Now, when he sees Childs, now, that means he he could have the bottle. It could contain whiskey. And he could just be like, I'm going to freeze to death and take a little couple swigs off of this as I go. It could be I'm going to have a bottle of kerosene so that I can light it or use it as a Molotov cocktail or right. whatever. There are reasons for him to have both. Yeah. Well, because that's earlier, that is what they did. Right. Is they filled a bunch of bottles with kerosene because they were like, we have to destroy the base. Right. So, yeah, that's where that theory comes from. So when he hands going. Childs the um, played wonderfully by Keith David, whom we love. I so mean, good. it's fantastic. So when he hands Giles or Childs the the bottle. Some people perceive that as a test, as if it is kerosene. So if Child's character takes that bottle, takes a sip, and it's kerosene, but he's the thing. Right. The thing is just going to be like, mm, good. Yeah, while like, the what? thing knows to drink this, yeah, it he's, doesn't maybe know the difference between the taste of, like the kerosene and whiskey will not uh, affect it like it would affect a person. Right. Yeah, it would be if they made it today, it would be like Kurt Russell's character would hand it to him and be like, how do you like that Canadian whiskey? And then it would be like, no, that's blah, 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 (laughs) you know, single malt, you know, oak barrel age, blah, blah, blah. But it was instead we get a we get a scene where I think the reason why people think this is that there's a little bit of a sound cue. So when Childs drinks the bottle, whatever is in it. There's a little bit of a sound cue of some music that some people have said that's the music that plays when we see the thing or whatever. You also see Kurt Russell kind of chuckles a little bit, chuckles a little bit, kind of puts his head down, like rests his head down. That could be one of two things. That could be a God damn it. I really hope that I would die with one other human. Yeah. Or it could be like, thank fucking God. Like I, I, you know, either, either he's thankful that child's. Pass the test and yeah. is human, or, or he's it's like, a, I can't believe I'm this yeah, is the guy like, who I'm left yeah. to die with. Yeah, that this thing, My nemesis. You know, he knows he's gonna die. Yeah, and that's the thing. So you have to ask yourself. Now we can't. What's interesting? We can't theorize about this. Talk about different cues that are in there that might give us clues. But John Carpenter himself, at a at a screening, was asked. You know, they're like, wh- who's who at the end? There are they things? Are they not? And John Carpenter's like, well, it's really just supposed to be open to your own interpretation. Right. To which the test audience in 1982 goes, oh, God, I hate that. Right. <laughs> which is garbage because the uh, whole. You're going to make me think about this movie. Right. The Fuck whole... you, John Carpenter. I'll never hear your name again. The whole. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah, right. <laughs> Until yeah, uh, that guy was probably strutting around like when this came out. Like I saw that movie, piece of shit. Right, it's a piece of shit, and I was right. I know everything about movies. Yeah, watch him make a movie called Ghost of Mars. <laughs> like, um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but um, honey, honey, turn on Saturday Night Live. You're never gonna guess this. In, in 25 years, he makes a movie with Chevy Chase, and it's the worst movie ever made. <laughs> So, so here's the thing. I, I love playing detective and watching a movie. And I love the idea of sitting around with a group of people or just you, one other person or myself and trying to reason, okay, who's infected? Are they both infected? Are neither of them infected? I love playing. I love playing, uh, you know, having fun with, with that sort of thing and trying to decide that for myself. However, with this particular movie, it is probably the one where I would kind of set the gauntlet down, not throw down the gauntlet, set it down <laughs> right. and, and say, I, I don't think I'm supposed to know. I think I'm supposed to wonder. Yeah. And I don't think that there's an answer to that question. Right. And I don't think it really matters because this is a part of a sort of unwritten trilogy, like an end of the world apocalyptic trilogy with two other Carpenter movies, which would be Prince of Darkness and They Live. Yeah. So it's, I think Carpenter, when he was putting these movies together, was saying, like, does it really matter? Like maybe the world ends, maybe it doesn't, but there's been so much shit that has happened. Who can tell? Like, I mean, it's, it's, things have gotten so out of control. It would be silly to be like, Oh, sun comes up. Here comes the helicopter. He's saved. Everything is fine. There was a part of me when I was watching this the first time thinking about like, like I had some Mandela effect where I was like, he, they get picked up, right? And they're they're drinking on the helicopter. Like in my mind, that's what had happened. And I'm so glad it didn't. No, and and it, it nor should it, because the the thing is, is that and the, I just watched this movie like in February. I've watched this movie three times this year, twenty this last twelve months. Well, and and that and the and that's the that's the point of it is that the movie is supposed to be, regardless of how many times you see it. It's about paranoia. Yeah. It's about not knowing. And it's about how much does it really matter? Because here's the thing. If both of them are human, and now let's say maybe they destroyed the thing, and both of them are human, and the, the world is saved. But... I didn't see where motherfucking Knowles went, and neither did any of you, by the way. No. Uh, so we don't know what happened to that character. Now, he does have a death. It was filmed. Yeah. It was storyboarded, and it was filmed, and he was meant to turn into a thing. But in the film that we have, there is a character that we never see the death of. Yeah. And we never see the end of. That's true. So that that could be something. So the point is, is that even if you think that you've got this thing all tied up with a nice red ribbon on top, um, I don't think that's the point. The point is, is that you just never know. 
Yeah. If they had wanted this movie to be about a possible redemption or saving or whatever, it would have taken place in New York City. <laughs> this thing takes place in Antarctica. Like Scream 6. It's It was doomed from the start. It was never supposed to be okay. Yeah. It was never supposed to be safe or resolved. The, the point is, is that you just don't know. Thank God it crashed in Antarctica. Well, yeah, that was that was. Well, now let me ask you. I'm glad you brought that up because this is, if nothing else, just for me. So, Wilford Brimley's character, while he's in, while he's been sort of like uh, seclude or uh, you know segregated from the rest of the group in the tool shed, come to find out when when he's missing, when they go to get him out of the oh, tool shed, yeah, right? I, yeah, that we go down underneath the tool shed and we realize that everything has been hollowed out and that he has been rebuilding this spaceship. Yeah, he's building a little spaceship. So my question is, is that when did that start? (laughs) Was it the thing that was rebuilding it to be able to get out? Was it was it Wilford Brimley as a human taking parts, trying to get have a way to get out? Right. Well, I mean, now that part of him being human and trying to get out pretty complete little spaceship. So what the fuck with that is what I'm asking. Now, I will answer myself a little bit here in that. I don't think that I think you can rule out him being human and trying to build something to get away because we had a guy who was just destroying everything earlier. Yeah. That would allow anybody to get out. Right. Now, if he was already the thing and he was destroying their way to get out, but building his way to get out as the thing. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. But either way, it's a lot of fucking work in a short amount of time. Uh, Yeah. Unless. I mean, it's possible that that because because the first the first dog thing, right? It like goes up into the ceiling. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. So there is one on the loose. Okay. Right. That's how it assimilates other people in the movie. Right. The few other. I mean, not a lot of people get assimilated or whatever. It's only four. Yeah. Including the dog. Another weird bit, real quick tangent, how the guy who spends his time with the dogs did not get. Yeah, I thought that was really that was weird. weird. Especially looks really sickly. Why, yeah, and he does. Like, they, yeah. were, they were really trying to lead you down that one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they, why wouldn't it if it was alone with that guy? Uh, fuck, fuck, I knew I would lose my track of thought. Well, no, that um, <laughs> what, what we're talking oh, about. Is the, the spaceship and yeah. the building of the spaceship. Oh, yeah. So there is a thing on the loose. So it might have already started that. And maybe started burrowing a tunnel under there. But here is also the other half of that. Cause you could be like, well, maybe it just turned into like some space worm it knew it had seen before. Cause it's, we don't know how many planets this thing has been on, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it's tunneling something. It turns right. into something, but it, 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 when it turns into something, it's not very, Excuse me. It's not really a smooth transition, right? So it's not like yes. I could understand if it were some like, uh, like we would just view like a fantasy shapeshifter that can like a fucking X Man just goes bleh, and I'm a new thing now, right? It's a it's a much harsher, it's messier process. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah. When when did it burrow this tunnel? How, 
how long did that take? Had it been building that ship and now just Blair is the more recent incarnation of it that's working on it, you know? Yeah. I don't think it means like Blair has built okay. the whole thing. Okay. Okay. I think it's been working. That on it. a thing has been building it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Um, yeah. Cause they even say things like the title is the thing. Right. Because it's a singular thing. Right. Because it's a, it's a, it's essentially a single cell that is present in, in every cell. Yes. It's like they try to explain, like I cut, I cut my finger. I put blood in a thing. I don't feel the blood anymore. It's detached yeah. from my body, but for the thing, it's all one thing. Like the Borg. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a Borg. Yeah. It's a cellular Borg. Yes. <laughs> Which also I am curious, like is the, don't, Tip over. <laughs> you tip over in your chair. Uh, so this the movie opens with the spaceship crashing. Yes. Which we're then told is probably roughly 100,000 years before the movie takes place. Yeah. Is that ship, does that belong to the thing? Is the, and so if the thing is a organism that just replicates other organisms did it itself get to some point where it uh figured out interstellar travel or is it had the thing assimilated a certain species or because even the script writer is like oh yeah it can turn into this these crazy things or the or the or robot i don't remember which guy said it but they were like yeah you can turn into all these crazy things because he's been all throughout the galaxy, sure. right? Like he's assimilated so much genetic code. But is this ship? Maybe it's not the thing's ship. Maybe it would just like caught the thing and was taking it like Could critters. Be. Could be. Was taking it to space jail. Well, yes. Right. <laughs> and it crash landed on Earth. This is just a darker well, no, and that's, critters. That's where probably, and I know that you're not a fan of this, but probably where a lot of people came up with the idea that there's possibly two opposing alien life forms right. fighting each other. Because, and there's, in this, it does track from what I've read that like, because it also explains why multiple things that are the thing don't work together. That when multiple things are the thing at the when multiple people yeah. in Antarctica are yeah. the thing at the same time that they don't work in tandem. Right. So I think that's a little far out for me. That was nothing that occurred to me until I read it. So yeah. I don't think that that's really a thing. But I mean, it's it's something by a thing. I mean, like a concept. <laughs> I should clarify that. Um, did you did you notice in this? In your subtitles, every time they said the word thing, they capitalized it. Not every time, but oh, like yeah. if they were talking about those things out there, yeah. which is a general word, right. they would capitalize. Yeah, no, that's they, true. They never like give it the title, right? the thing. Yeah. Uh, they just call it things. Yeah. <laughs> or in Ireland, the But thing. the movie, yeah. they knew. They were like, we know this is important. This is your God now. Right. Thing. That's why they, yeah, the they guy. should have had an Irish guy there. So <laughs> oh, that they yeah. were like, are we calling it Ting or Thing? <laughs> right. The Ting. 
<laughs> what are you? Are you saying ting or are you saying thing? Um, but no, it's it's. Um, I th- here's the thing, I guess, and I I hate to do a cop out when it comes to any sort of investigation of of a movie because I love that stuff. But I think that this movie is. Um, it's uh, not to be cliche, but it's it's one of those things. It's a, b- a little bit more about the journey than the destination. Sure. That it, oh yeah. That it is. It is far more about. I could pick apart. Oh any yeah. Movie. I mean, right. And and this is a great one to do it. It's baffled a lot of people. It's it's. I challenge people to try and go through because thousands have to try and say like there are people out there that will give theories where it's like somebody's eyes don't reflect or you don't see their breath when they're the thing yeah. or they've changed their clothes or whatever it is. Every people have, have studied this thing relentlessly, but I, I'm not even sure if that was jo- what John Carpenter was going for, nor do I know if he had enough time to fucking do all <laughs> no. that. I think he, what he's trying to say is I've made a movie that is clever enough for you to never quite know who's infected, who's not, so that you can feel what it was like to be there and be one of these people, which is the whole thing that we're fucking talking about here of what makes this movie so special is that none of it is served up on a silver platter. There's no break. There's no rest. Maybe in the beginning, the very, very, very beginning where you have Adrian Barbeau's voice as the chess computer. Uh, yeah, <laughs> oh. there she is. Um, maybe you get a little bit of, of fun and, and, you know, guys bantering back and forth like we've talked about before. You get people on a remote location and they just love to jab each other, <laughs> right. you know. But aside from that. It, it the movie is absolutely fucking relentless, and you know I, I I joked about it earlier, but it's true. When when you have a Kurt Russell, I myself am somebody that I think that I'm I think I'm probably the most positive person that I know, I, and and I'm I'm not trying to be like a braggart or anything. I think that pound for pound, I work hard to be as enthusiastic and positive as I possibly can be. And I know that because when I'm not that way, people are like, Jesus fucking Christ, like what's wrong now? Like what's really wrong? Cause Timmy's not happy. And that's the thing with Kurt Russell. If Kurt Russell isn't doing that high pitch laugh and rattling off those one liners, <laughs> one after another, something is seriously wrong. And we don't, we get a very different Kurt Russell in this movie. Oh yeah. And, and he's, he's still him in that you feel like he's in charge and he's competent, but he's, um, he's not having a good time. No. And, and that, that is really kind of, disarming for us as an audience member where it's like this, this is the fun guy. Where's the fun. Uh, and it's not there. He's dead fucking serious. I don't and, think this is what Walt Disney had in mind. Oh, no, right. Yeah. The hand just reaches up out of the grave and just scratches one line through the name. Uh, yeah, but, um, but yes. So what you have here is a movie that I'm not going to cut him any slack. But I will sort of understand how audience members who were used to alien movies or spooky movies or whatever, having an element of fun or humor or whatever to it, that this was on a different level. And they weren't ready for that, and they didn't like it. Why? Because it wasn't entertaining. Right. But like we, we and I have talked about before, not every movie has to be entertaining. Maybe 
maybe most of them should be, maybe 51% should be, but it's okay for something to be sad. Like we talked about with the strangers, the ending of that is, is sad and pathetic. Yeah. It's, 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 um, humiliating. It's, it's uh, powerless. Yeah. And, but nobody wants to watch that every single movie. Nobody wants to see the thing every single movie, but I'm fucking glad that it's there yeah. and that it exists. And that it, and again, it goes back to what I was talking about, the power of the potential power of film. I, th- I don't even think that we've tapped what could be the, f- I think that we are all still capable yeah. of an experience. Like you had it when the first time you watched Pulp Fiction, yeah, the first time you watched, you know, hereditary, yeah. whatever. I think that those boundaries are still out there for us to cross. Just you saying this, I know you have not yet watched everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> Did you have an experience, a new experience when you watched that movie? Uh, yeah. I, not not like those two movies, the first two you said, because right. those were definite uh, moments. But yeah, yeah, where you're just like, holy shit, like here are two, I, you go, you went into a movie with zero expectations, two guys, I know one other movie they'd made. It had a a female star that I enjoy, but don't make a point to see her movies. You know, there was yeah. nothing about the movie other than the style that it was presenting me that I really was drawn to. Uh, and then, yeah, you walk out and you're like, God damn, I got, I got a lot to think about. Right. And it's awesome that we still can have those feelings yeah. now. And, and it's awesome that for me, Revisiting a film from shit, what what is it, forty years, forty years ago? This, uh, yeah, it's forty, 40. years old now, forty one. So this is the equivalent of like me in high school watching like James Dean movies from the fifties. Uh, fucking crazy, yeah, yeah, that is Isn't crazy. that bizarre, yeah. But Time, but I'll man. tell you what though, and, and I'm not going to get off on this. We'll talk. We'll have this conversation another time. I feel like there, if we track the decades. There is some there was some line in the sand that once we crossed that that it wasn't like shit was old old anymore. Yeah. When for me to watch in the 90s a movie from the the 1950s, that was watching an old ass movie. Yeah. But young but kids today, kids 17, 18 years old will something will resonate with the thing with them. <laughs> More than it would, you know, a James Dean movie. Yeah. So, I mean, but it doesn't look, I think like. Well, we, we've kind of halted culturally. It is weird when you think about, like, if you look but at But you know like, what I'm talking about, though? Like, there yes. was there was a line where even if things are older, they still feel more modern than whatever was on the other side of that line. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. When was that line drawn? That's what we got to talk about. Because, like, if that. you look at, like, Back to the Future, like. Where you're like, oh, they went. He went back 30 years. Like the difference between the 80s and 50s, yes, is mind-boggling. Okay, but the difference between like 85, like just like 95 and 2015. Okay, okay, yeah, 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 like, yeah. No, yeah. you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> no, that's that, and that's probably the place to start. Is not so much the movies themselves, but just. The world, like yeah. what, what, what was at our fingertips? Twenty twenty five. Poor math, and it's bad math there. But still, yeah. anything past two thousand. Like if you gave me a movie, I mean, just yeah, we were talking about the ring. 
And yeah. I thought that was a 90s movie. And it's just like from 2002. And I was just like, God, it just feels like. Okay, yeah, perfect example. So that's what, 20 years old? Yeah. Okay, so that's 20 years old. But in the 90s, if you would have watched the movies from the 70s, you, we could still oh, feel yeah. the age. We yes. could feel the age. Yes. But I don't think you would feel the age. If you told somebody that The Ring was made last week, yeah. I don't think they'd really be able to tell. Yes. That there's is something, exactly there's, what I was there's trying to say. There's a line. There's a line there. There was a line where... We found the fucking Terminator arm and found the technology or whatever it was like. <laughs> there is a definitive line where old old is on one side and newer old yeah. is on the other side. But it's still closer to the new. You know what I'm saying? It was 9-11. It's interesting. It was 9-11. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. It, kill, it killed us culturally. Think of the music from that decade. Garbage. Yeah. Like who even <laughs> like that? Like. Who assigns like that? Uh, that that Enya song? Oh, like yes. people were like attaching Enya to that fucking plane crash, and it's like I promise you that wasn't what it, the song is about, right? Yeah, but it's like you know, I feel like I want to hear like a sort of sad Irish person, like not really enunciating. Oh, uh, was she Irish? I think so. Speaking of Irish, have you seen the the um, island of Inisherin yet? Yeah, I, it's one or of those. I'm, I'm doing my weird. Jesus. I'm doing my weird subconscious. Like I missed it, so now I'm holding on. Like you ever do that where it's like yeah. I missed my moment, so now I'll get to it when I fucking get to <laughs> right. it. Right, but I, I desperately want to see it. Yeah, you should see that. Yeah, I think I'd like it. Um, but yeah, yeah. the thing. Uh, this is this is a movie where we have for time. I mean, we're we're. Good. Are we in the sweet spot? Yeah. 140? I'm like surprised that we got this it. isn't like a two and a half hour thing. Though. We talked fast. That's true. Um, we were talking pretty passionately. Right. I, but Not I mean, a I, lot of tangents. <laughs> right. I tried with the everything everywhere all once. Right. But no, I, I think that, um, hey, if anything else, um, and I, I was even saying this about Christine. Um that after you know a certain era a movie is popular you hear about it you think that you've seen it maybe you did maybe you didn't maybe it's been 20 years 30 years but um god damn it revisit this one yeah if it's been a while um it just really really did you did you find it in your research real quick yeah cuz i remember hearing how this was done a while ago and i don't remember the specifics of it but how they did the little title reveal yeah yeah yes. did you read how they yeah, did that how did yeah. they do that so it's something with a fish tank so yes so okay. they they cut out what's called an animation cell which i'm guessing is like in lighting they call it a gel or whatever yeah. but it's like a a piece of paper of a certain consistency or thickness or whatever so they cut out the words the thing on this piece of paper they put the piece of paper on the back of a fish tank. Yes. Now, behind that, they've got lighting, they've got smoke, but then they cover the fish tank with like a garbage bag. Yeah. And they set it on fire. So the garbage bag is melting upward. Yeah, like shriveling And it's up. revealing. So it looks like the words, the thing, are burning themselves onto the screen. Right. But what's so cool about that is, is... Holy fuck, it's a practical effect <laughs> right. for the title sequence. Yes, that's what I love. Insane. Insane. It's just lights and smoke and a piece of paper on the back of a fish tank. Yeah. Holy fuck. 
really oh, we cool. We can talk about the score. We didn't talk about the score too much. Yeah. So, because um, it is interesting. Right. This sounds like if you had told me John Carpenter scored this film, I would believe you. Uh, in parts, yes. Well, but in parts, he did. But the, <laughs> the other parts to me, and I'm I'm not I'm not against it. Some parts to me sounded a little bit more because he said he wanted a European sound for it. Yeah. So they go to uh, what's his name, uh, Maracone. Yeah. So they go to um, I believe his name is Ennio. Ennio Maracone. And they go to him, and this Ennio is is given very little to work with. I, I mean, a lot of it he, he hasn't even seen anything of the movie. And Ennio is kind of like, what do you, you want me to make it like you do? Yeah, you he know? also <laughs> speaks Italian, and John Carpenter does not. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you have uh, a guy who's like, I've got too much going on. I can't compose it. You have another guy being like, well, I'll just compose it like the way I think you would have composed it. <laughs> right. And now it, he doesn't. It's different. And I would have. I would love to see this movie with a John Carpenter score. To me, it's a little more... Uh, the the word is not schmaltzy because it is eerie, but it's a little more of an old fashioned style than I think that Carpenter was going for with his minimalism and his tones and yeah. that sort of thing. It's it's a little bit more orchestral than that, um, as opposed to just the the ominous tones or whatever. But um, it's it's okay. It won a Razzie for the worst score. Dude, let me tell you something. You know, when I was a little stupid shithead teenager in like early 20s i felt like the razzies were like the funniest idea and yeah it's just like in retrospect just like mean dumb shit yeah uh sometimes and, they're and right outrageous like this come on yeah worst score yeah it's 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 garbage yeah it literally won for worst score and i think i think that's nonsense again i i caught myself like maybe part of what Carpenter was thinking about was I'm doing a movie from another time from an earlier time. So I kind of maybe want somebody who has a little bit more of that orchestral. I don't want to say melodramatic, but kind of like, maybe I want that as a sort of homage to the age of the original. Yeah. So that's an artistic choice. Um, I, and I think it comes across fine. Still, though, I I would I'd love to hear Carpenter. I mean, because they didn't know, they didn't talk about it at all. No, they met. He like showed him the movie barely, but he I don't even think he saw the whole movie. No, yeah, I don't think he gave him bits of music, just like uh, yeah, and then he yeah he writes like twenty five minutes of movie (laughs) or of music. Carpenter's like, yeah, I can splice this in, and then he's like. And then you know, just in some other parts, I fill in the rest. You know, he's like, but he. He's such a generous guy to where he'll even, you know, he like defends it like, I mean, it's like a tone. It's like a sound effect, really. Yeah. yeah. Like, so he's not trying which to then, you know, I mean, if we want to get into what is music, really, well, sure. you yeah. know, because, uh, yeah, if I'm just hitting one note, am I playing a song? <laughs> right. If a garbage truck's driving my music, <laughs> cool. there it is. Uh, anyway. Uh, but no, I love that he is just, he tries to just be like, no, 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 I didn't do any of the yeah. score. Like, it's just, I've added like a little, that's it. right. That's it. But it's good though. It, it It's nothing that it takes it away so much so that you're like fucking John Carpenter writes great scores. It's a shame that he didn't do it and it ruins the movie. Nothing like that at all. It's no. to me, it doesn't, I know that they say that it's, it's, this guy wrote the, you know, 
You brought all those uh, spaghetti western scores. Yeah, right. But I just full I just, of dollars. Yeah. Anytime you've picked a gun up, you've gone. <laughs> so right. fuck you, Razzies. Right. Yeah. Fucking Razzies. Still, though, guess, I would have guess who won the worst award show? The Razzies. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. Good. Yeah. Good. But yeah. For for all of the other negative oh, award shows out there, you're like, we're ready to wrap this up, right? <laughs> no, I'm I'm fighting hard for you. Oh man. Yeah. I, I could see like you're clutching through. the armrests on that chair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just be like the straight you're sitting. Yeah. Oh, this is great. <laughs> I will say, uh, fan of the show, Doctor Brian did send us some uh, portable urinals. He did. Yeah. Hilarious joke. Uh, not going to use them. Don't want Tim pissing yeah. in here at all. Oh, yes. Oh, man. Yeah, Remember so when you promised one Yeah, I did. And I'm, I'm sticking to it. Sticking to it. You could probably end it. Okay. I'm a little disappointed we didn't talk more about the thing, but I don't, I cannot think of anything we didn't talk about. Well, maybe, maybe that, maybe it's just a, a that much more of a teaser for people to go out and watch the thing, for God's sake. Yeah. I watched it on Prime. It was available on Apple TV and Prime. I watched it on Prime, and it was great. It was beautiful. Yeah. I bought it not too long ago, so I just watched my copy of it. Oh, nice. Yeah. I love it. I love it, too. <laughs> All right, Tim. We'll wrap it up. So that was a thing from 1982. Wow. we When we started this, we were like, oh, shit, five, uh, five Mondays in January. Um, and so we, you know, we like sketched out. We were like, we can do all these carpenters. Uh, we decided to not do memoirs of an invisible man <laughs> uh, or precinct assault on precinct 13. I think all fair. Yeah. Uh, and then I was like, all right, here are these four. And then boom, we ended with In the Mouth of Madness. And Tim said, I'm too afraid to do that movie. Please <laughs> don't make me, me watch that. I'm too scared. <laughs> I'm an adult man who takes testosterone and goes to the gym. I'm too scared. And I said, well, you know what, then? What else is left? Big trouble in little China. And yeah. Boom. That's what we're doing. This is scary stuff One in that movie. One of the best films of all goddamn Might be the time. best movie we've ever covered on oh, this podcast. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. If we were going to. If we were going to show up the thing with anything, it would so, be So, yeah, trouble. we're going to be closing out. I made a thing with 86. I made a big trouble in Little China. <laughs> yeah. uh, starring Kurt Russell. We could talk about him being the fucking antithesis of his character in this yes. movie. So much to talk about. Nancy fucking hated it when she watched it. Uh, she thought it, I was joking that I liked that movie. Oh, my God. Uh, so much to talk. Maybe we'll have her on. Should we get her on mic? next week well once to talk we about say Big everything Trouble. we want otherwise i'll just get thrown all off track we, we're gonna say everything we want to say i'll go to the bathroom she can come on we might have to have her on yeah just i'll make her watch it again with me yes okay so that's next week check out our i'm gonna make it easy for you you guys know check out the website you know our email it's oh, all yeah. on the fucking explanation or the description of this uh, Tim, do you got anything else to say about the thing? And I think we've we've said you know some really really important things. I just want to say oh, I don't. Wait, hold on, real quick. Oh yeah, you take to our patrons. You help make this show possible. We couldn't do it without you. And uh, Tim, do you got anything else to say about the thing? Just that I don't know why I took it to this point, but when when you said uh, I made a big trouble in Little China, just sounds like a really bad like 
interaction with a prostitute gone wrong. Like, I made a big trouble in Little China. Like, Or you've got, like, the coolest toddler ever. Daddy, I made a big trouble <laughs> in Little China. <laughs> All right, Tim, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.